Hey everybody, welcome to the MFG cast. We are going to be doing something a little different today. And for the upcoming episodes, as far as our role-playing segment goes for try, I, I want to keep trying to do something role-playing every other week to kind of awesome up the board game stuff because I thought it'd be kind of fun. When you're hearing this, you'll be hearing, before that, you'll be hearing a couple of board game episodes in a row, but eventually we'll get back to the uh, role-playing and then we'll get into this. But what we're going to be doing here is we, boy, all of a sudden I can't breathe. Okay, what I wanted to do, I wanted to take the game of Core, specifically the, the game Core Micro that Todd Foley had made. And if you want to find out more about what Core Micro is, you can check out me and I actually interviewed John Haremza about his own skin for the Core Micro, which is Corthulo. And we kind of explained to you what Core Micro is. So I'm not going to explain explain to you in too much detail. We'll kind of, as we go through and play this game that we're going to be playing here in the future, you'll kind of pick up the nuances of how the game plays and stuff like that. But we thought we would do a like a core noir story. And we're going to do this two-player, basically. It, oh, actually, one player. It's going to be me as the GM and John Haremza as the player. John, say hi. Hi. <laughs> and what we're going to do is we're going to do something. We're going to do things a little differently. So we haven't technically really written too much for this skin of core noir. What we're going to do is we're going to play... We're going to play this story. And as we're playing the story, we're going to set that noir setting and play that play. John's going to play a character. And I'm going to play a bunch of characters around the scene of him playing this PI. And we're going to kind of make this game as we go. So I thought it would be kind of, we thought it'd be kind of fun to include everyone in this process of not only, you know, running this game as we go, but also making a game within it which I thought would be, which we thought would be kind of cool. So what we're going to do is we're going to play this out kind of noir style. And then you're going to get kind of a fun little treat at the end of like our big sessions. And it depends upon how I break these, these big sessions up at the end of these big sessions, I'm going to include kind of what worked, what didn't work, what we're going to kind of monkey with to make this core, this, core noir boy that's gonna be hard to say a lot of the time now into a reality so so yeah that's pretty much what we're gonna be seeing i will probably do this as a warning before every episode too this is going to be a very mature themed game so there's gonna be a lot of mature a lot of mature a lot of mature themes there's gonna be a lot of violence there's gonna be a lot of death there's probably gonna be some triggered things in between I will try to include those in the show notes, but I just to kind of warn you ahead of time, there's going to be some disturbing material within the game itself. Uh, I can't think of anything else that I wanted to include. John, is there anything that you think of that you're like, okay, well, this is something that maybe people want to kind of keep in mind as we're doing this too. No, I mean, I think you pretty much covered it. Core is super easy to hack there's a couple of of settings that are out for it now um core noir may wind up not needing its own setting i mean we're going to find that out as we play we can use core to run a noir setting you know just 
using Core Micro, where we kind of want to figure things out is, you know, designing some new mechanics um, to see if there's anything that is um, additive to Core that would warrant us to, you know, actually produce a whole other setting. Noir is a very rough analogy. Noir is kind of like porn. You know, you know what it is when you see it, but like, how do you describe it? You know, it's a in the in the film, you know, noir that you know we're familiar with, you know, Maltese Falcon and things like that. It has a very set visual aesthetic. Uh, so we're going to see if we can adapt that. We may use, uh, you know, like camera angle setting scenes. You know, this is kind of sort of what you see. To, to maybe be evocative of that that film noir that we're that we're shooting for so eh, we'll see how it turns out either way it should be a fun game i'm looking forward to doing it i know kurt is as well and um i mean either way we're gonna have a good time so we hope that you enjoy it it's hot and sultry through the open window i hear the city come to life i suppose i should get up but i linger in bed just a little longer A vagrant breeze moves through the threadbare curtains just a little. The fan squeaks rhythmically as it pushes the warm, humid air over my bare skin. My mouth feels like I've been chewing on cotton balls, and I reach for a glass on the nightstand. One too many drinks at the glow last night. Everything was going fine until she showed up. I didn't know she was supposed to be working last night. Some detective, huh? I don't remember much else after that. Probably for the best of way I figure it. The smell of bacon and coffee drifts down from Mrs. Wilson's place, and my stomach grumbles in response. My head spins and pain begins to swirl behind my eyes as I get out of bed and step into my pants. Grabbing the crumpled pack of Lucky Strikes off the table, I fish out the last smoke. I light it and take a deep drag. It steadies me. The blue-gray smoke wreathes around my head, as I put on a small pot of coffee and fry up some eggs and bacon. After breakfast, I scratch the stubble on my chin and glance at the clock. Janice will be at the office soon, I think. If I leave now, I can make it there before she does. Just enough time to grab a sack of donuts and some coffee at Murray's. The kid deserves better than working for a two-bit PI like me, but I'm grateful she's there just the same. I think she knows she can make more money someplace else. Maybe she feels sorry for me. Lord knows I feel sorry for me. Pat my pants pocket to make sure I got my lucky coin and I head out the door. I grab a paper and a pack of smokes at the newsstand before heading to Murray's. By the time I get to the office, the lights are already on. Well, not the first time she's beat me to the office. I offer her the coffee and a greeting before heading to my office. Sitting down wearily at my desk, I put up my feet, light another cigarette, stare out the window. Things have been kind of slow, and I'm hoping that I don't have to cut Janice's hours back. Hell, I'd give the kid a raise if I could. I just need one good case to break my way. I open the paper, and I lean back in my chair. Not really reading it, though. Too preoccupied for that. It's just sort of going through the motions, seeing if anything catches my eye. The phone rings, snapping me out of my reveille. I take a minute to gather myself and sip my coffee. Cold. How long did I check out for? A moment later, Janice transfers the call to my office. Anderson Investigations, I say with what I hope is just enough charm. 
On the line is a Miss Charlene Woodward, who informs me in no uncertain terms that her brother has been murdered, and she needs me to find out who. As they begin to ask questions, she says the police claim that it's suicide, but she doesn't buy it. When she mentions the cops, my guts clench up just a little. There's not much love lost between me and the boys in blue. They don't like me muscling in on their turf, especially once they've already closed the case. Bad for business, that. Doesn't help that I put a few of theirs away for, uh, let's just say less than scrupulous behavior. Man's gotta eat, though, when the rent's almost due. Miss Woodward... Miss Woodward is offering to pay me just for a meeting tonight down at the docks. This sets off little alarm bells in my head, but forewarned is forearmed, as my old gunny sergeant used to say. So I accept. Nobody said the life of a P.I. would be easy. The MFG cast presents a meeting at the docks. yellow taxis from imperial taxi rolls up on you as you're waiting for your ride where to sir oh uh, yeah i need to get down to uh down to corona by about 114th street you got it sir great as, thanks as uh as you slip in you smell a deep acrid cigar smell as your taxi driver must has must be a avid and healthy cigar smoker, as you can tell from the film from inside the car and the uh, smoke billow- billowing from top to bottom of the fresh scent of that fresh of <laughs> that uh, not a fresh scent. How about the acrid smell of old cigars that have been smoked a plenty? Yeah, he. Uh... He, you know, takes out a, a cigarette, you know, lights it, cracks the window. Uh, you know, it's it's summer, right? So, he, you know, probably puts the window down. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know that he would say anything. Okay, nope. <laughs> nope, that's perfect. After a long bout of silence, your taxi driver uh, speaks up and says, going somewhere fancy? You'd think you'd probably uh, maybe, uh, you know, maybe launder your clothes before you headed out. He like, you know, picks his arm up and kind of like brushes the sleeve of the rumpled suit that he's wearing. He says, uh, no, it's, uh, it's more business. Um, 
Although I do need to get down to the laundromat now that you mentioned it. If you hit old uh, Anderson dry cleaning down on 63rd, they can take care of you for a good price. Uh, I usually go to the, to the other place down on, uh, down on uh, 73rd there. There's a, it's a Chinese shop in there that I go to pretty cheap. Oh, never heard of them. I might have to check that out sometime. Yeah, they do pretty good work for as often as I get down there. What's the occasion? Why are you putting on this nice, uh, and he like says it kind of a little sarcastically, uh, this nice suit? Oh, these are my everyday duds. Yeah, everyday duds, you say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> oh, I love it. Awkward, awkward conversation. It's beautiful. And the taxi driver actually stays in silence for rest of the while. You do hear... Instead of dealing with the silence between you two, he actually turns on the radio and you hear a little bit of a news blurb. You hear someone say, I'm here in Nassau Heights, temperatures as high as seen in years. Usually New York is known for their hot summers, but these temperatures have never seen these heights consistently for weeks. We've seen 80s and 90s consistently for at least three to four weeks. The Farmer's Albanac warns that this could be being disaster for the winter ahead. It means that there could be deadly colds and heavy snows for the winter ahead. So if you haven't yet, make sure you unpack your gloves and unpack your jackets and make sure that everything is up to snuff for when winter hits. Uh, he, you know, the, this, he, you know, exhales a, you know, cloud of smoke and it sort of wreaths around his head as it gets sucked out the window. And he, he rolls his shoulder and, he, you know, says absently to the cab and he goes, uh, it's a little early to be talking about winter, man. Don't you think it's uh, just the end of June? The cabbie kind of turns his head a little bit towards you and says, can't ever be too prepared. I guess maybe we should buy all those milk bread and eggs now so we can make as much uh, French toast as we need to when the uh, when the snow comes. And he just kind of lets that conversation trail off and you reach your destination. You pull out of the car and head to the pier. A couple of uh, lights here and there illuminate a pier. Oh, yes. Can we, can we back up first? Yes, 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 yes. So let's uh, scene. So he gets out of the car. You know, he says, uh, thanks a lot, bud. You know, slams the door. He you know, steps out. The, the camera shot is just like, you know, sort of a damp, you know, damp road. He's on the sidewalk underneath, you know, huge lamp post, you know, shadowed around, you know, he's standing in this cone of light. You see him reach into his coat, you know, takes out the pistol, checks it, slides it back into the holster, lights another cigarette. You just see the trail of smoke up into the, you know, into the cone of light. Sounds good. Nope, that's perfect. I should be setting those scenes, but I'm being dumb. Uh, so you head to the docks, and for a pier that is pretty well known in these parts, the the lighting is shoddy at best. Instead of like lights that consistently kind of go down the row, there's probably like a light here and a light there, one that's kind of flickering, and the other one that looks like it's almost completely burnt out. I would like to make an awareness check. Awesome. <laughs> this I is love not that. my first rodeo. Yep, yep. Nope. That's perfect. 
I am going to use my awareness, but I'm going to use it with brains because it's less of a feel thing. It's more of him like looking for like, okay, I see that these lights are out. Is anyone around this court? Like he's actively trying to spot as opposed to like, does this feel wrong? Right. Like he's already sort of not on edge, but like, you know, hyper aware. Yeah, for sure. So go ahead and roll that. And as you're rolling that, don't tell me exactly what you got as of yet. So I'm going to, just because I want to kind of tell people as we go for things. So as he's making this check, we've got certain checks. We've got brains, charm, grace, health, might, and psyche. You also have skills that can help you kind of boost what you're going to be doing in the game. He's using his brains, which his character right now has a brains of three. So he's going to be rolling 3d6. And then he's going to be adding a, he has an awareness skill. So that's going to be giving him a plus one to that highest die. So if he rolls a six, he's going to get a seven. If he rolls a five, he's going to get a six. And then we're, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're actually going to like, I, as the GM is going to, I'm going to set a, certain challenge number or challenge rating or whatever difficulty level difficulty level thank you and uh hey we could call it challenge rating (laughs) in core noir and then depending upon what that is then he's going to be getting some answers for that so it's going to be like yes which is like completely hitting it and then you get that you get that information then or there could be a no but so it could be like no you didn't see everything but then you Either the GM will give something or the GM will allow the player to kind of give a little bit of something that they can do also. And then you have a yes and. So it's like, yes, you see, you know, what you want to see and. And then either, again, GM can give a little bit more or the player can give a little bit more. Okay. So as far as difficulty levels go, um, I think like one that's easier is probably a dl of three and that's what actually what i'm gonna set it as because it's not i don't think it's something at the moment right now that you're gonna have to really search to i mean again with well you know now that i think about it with all the lights <laughs> kind of flickering and being <clears throat> difficult let's make it a four instead okay you're you sure yes i am sure Okay, I, get, I rolled a six, so I have a seven on my awareness check. Holy crap. So that is a yes and a that, result. That is a yes and a result. So <clears throat> that also, I guess if, if we're going to talk this all out, that also means that I will um, gain an experience point. Uh, any yes and roll or no but roll also will will provide XP to your character that you can use to you know, buy new skills, increase your stats, that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And then again, that's going to be stuff that we kind of work on as we kind of work on this game, because there are some things in the core micro rule book that you can use to kind of do those. And if, if John wants to use those, he can, but I think as we kind of go along and we're kind of making this skin up or possibly not doing that, just kind of playing core as we go, you know, maybe it's something that I will let, I will allow uh, John to be able to be like, well, you know, it's not really in the book, but maybe I can have this. And, you know, if it, it to me, it makes sense. I will let him because I like being a GM that lets people have the things that they want. As long as they're not either a too overpowered or B doesn't make sense for the setting that we're actually in. So, so on the reason, so by the rules, technically, and, and, you know, we can, 
I think it's better if we go back and forth. Yes. But players typically choose the ends, GMs, the butts. Yes. Uh, but that's, you know, of course, something that we can kick back and forth. Or if we had other players to be mm-hmm. like, hey, you know, this would be really cool if, you know, this happened or, you know, this was the end or this was the butt. Yes. Um, so, so for something simple, uh, you know, I would offer that, you know, and maybe it was too broad of a, you know, maybe should have declaration of intent. I was, you know, looking to see am I being ambushed or do I see another person or does it, you know, does this seem particularly sketchy as opposed to like, hey, I roll the magic thing to make sure that nothing bad. Happens. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, um, why, don't, so why don't you tell me what you think your intent was? So uh, he was just. And again, maybe this is too broad, but sort of assessing um, the situation as it unfolds before him. So he's, you know, walking, you know, from light to light, you know, just like walking down the street, but like, you know, from light to darkness. So he's just, you know, kind of got his head on a swivel to make sure like this isn't the most normal meeting place. Like she could have easily come to the office. There may be a reason why she doesn't want to do that. But like in this line of work, like, hey, meet me at the dark scary place at night (laughs) is just unusual at best. So he's just, he's looking to make sure that he's not going, you know, that nobody's going to get the drop on him. Okay. So that's perfect. So the, and is you see exactly what you want to see because you are a private investigator. You've been, this is not your first rodeo, as you say, like, you know how to be cautious and you know, when you see a scene, you're like, okay, wait a minute. This doesn't really look exactly like how I would plan. So the, the couple of things you do see is you see far off into the distance into the water. There's actually somebody of a fisherman that's just kind of doing a late night catch and release. Let's just say, let's just say they're out there kind of doing their own thing. As you kind of, you know, stare at them a little bit longer, you don't see anything out of the ordinary. So it actually looks like face value. What you see is just a guy, just a gentleman older. Maybe he's had a hard day of work or maybe he, you know, just wants to get away from the family for a little bit and wants to do a little bit of fishing. The other thing that you see is you actually see a nervous woman walking up and down the dock, smoking cigarettes, just kind of pacing, waiting for somebody in that is that person you could assume to be Charlene Woodward or Woodard, okay. sorry, Charlene yep. Woodard. So he, you know, he observes for a minute, you know, assesses the guy on the boat, you know, kind of like mentally gives it the, you know, the all clear, you know, sees, sees her walking and, um, you know, just makes a beeline towards her. I don't know that he calls out necessarily. Like, I think he waits till he gets closer you know, he's not hiding his presence. He's, you know, just kind of strolling over there. Mm-hmm. You know, when he gets to within, you know, if she doesn't notice him when he gets to within like, you know, 20, 30 feet, he's like, uh, Miss Woodward, I presume. Ooh, it's Woodard. Sorry, I missed, I missed said it before. Miss Woodard, I presume. She holds out a uh, stiff arm for you to shake. She says, Mr. Armstrong, I presume. Thank you for coming. Yes. He, uh, he takes her hand and, and shakes it and is surprised that, you know, she has a, a, a pretty firm grip you know, yeah. for, for this little woman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You see that she's, she has uh, dark, short, curly hair. 
Um, she also is very short in stature and built like someone who works on the docks, which is unusual for someone for a lady of the 1940s, let's say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah there are tons but, more women in the workforce because of World War II, but like this wouldn't be the normal place yeah. unless they were in the office, right? Like as shitty as that sounds. That's yeah, exactly. That's was. how it was back then. Yeah, uh, she is dressed up in a very, uh, very crisp victory suit. If you don't know what a victory suit is, look it up. I had to, and it's cherry red. It's very professional. She has a in her. Uh, by looking at her eyes, she's got lots of crow's feet from, you can tell that she definitely uh, spends the midnight oil. She looks like she either a works hard or B parties hard. You don't know or celebrates. I don't, I don't know what you would say back then. Okay. So th- this is another thing I'm going to say as we kind of go through this, like, we're going to set this core, this noir scene and stuff like that. And also I'm, I'm going to be good at some things and not so good at others. So it's going to have a modern take on it too. So just kind of, so people are aware, you know, he, he kind of like puts his arm on her elbow and sort of like leads her further away from the dock. Like if that one guy, like, you know, he looks and the camera pans and the moon is up behind and you just see like, you know, this guy sort of in, in silhouette in his boat, you know, just kind of like, sitting there with a pole or like staring at the water if he's got like crab traps or whatever because the east river i guess kind of like comes down from the atlantic there or whatever and um you know he kind of moves her further away from the dock like not into the shadows but like not standing directly under a lamp because like that's not that's (laughs) that's a bad target (laughs) um and he you know he, he moves her over and he says um uh, this is a, an interesting place to have a meeting. You could have just come to the office, you know. And she looks at you with hard eyes and she says, to help you feel out and learn about how the murder of my brother went down, this is the perfect place. And she kind of points her hand off to the side and you see in the glow of one of the lights down on the the wood of the dirty dock you see you see blood stains you see uh where once was a big pool pool of blood that crudely cleaned and still not not quite cleaned up even for even further off to the side you'll you see little little splatters of blood possibly from the impact of a body hitting the floor of the dock. Oh, I, uh, I see then. Uh, so this was the place. She says, yes, the suicide. She says in, she, she doesn't do finger quotes like I just did because no one did that back then. She's, she gets a hard look in her eye. Yeah. She, there's her head. Yeah. You can tell like there's vitriol in her voice as she says it. She's like, Marcus has never been here why would he do it here? I just, I don't understand why they thought that just the way, way they found the body, all of these clues. And yet they just called it. Did he have anything going on that you're aware of? Did he get to owe anybody any money? 
you double cross somebody, get on the wrong side of the wrong person. She looks at you with softer eyes as she says, Marcus wouldn't hurt a flea. He was a brother to everyone. He had more charm and more grace than anyone I had ever met. Even more than I. Being the boss of your own company, sometimes they say sometimes they say you will have enemies here and there, but running Imperial Taxi, he never found he never had any enemies. He always treated his employees right. He always, you know, got them the cars that they wanted. He always got them the shifts that they wanted. There was never any there was never any reason for anybody to go after my brother i hate to be the one to say this but uh we we don't necessarily know even what those closest to us are always into i just want you to be prepared that uh well i'll have to do an investigation i just uh I, i tend to see the worst things in people done to people by other people. And um, she looks at you with hard eyes again and she says, by what transpired here the other day, I am not surprised. But don't get me wrong when I say this, Mr. Armstrong. I will find my brother's killer with or without you. He, you know, he holds up his hands placatingly and he says, I am truly sorry for your loss. And if I can help you in any way, I would be more than happy to do so. I just want you to be aware that you might not like the answers that I find. She centers herself and takes a deep sigh. I'm sorry. The last couple of days have been trying for me and my family. Um, I would love for you to help. Money is not not a problem uh my my standard rate is uh 10 bucks a day uh and then uh we'll see how long I'll keep track of hours and all that to provide all the information uh everything that I'm working on does that seem uh, amenable to you sounds like a plan she uh she kind of like looks off to the side and she says do this for me and maybe a little extra will come your way also if we find his killer. He, you know, he inclines his head to her um, and he says, um, you know, at, at this point, like he takes out a notebook and a pencil, like a, dete- you know, like a police detective. And he says, um, we'll start with the basics then. And I don't know if you want to run through all that or, you know, they don't like he wants, you know, uh, where does he live? Who is he seeing? You know, when was the last time she spoke to him? Like detective yeah, questions. Yeah, let's do that. Let's yeah. Why don't you do a few things, a few hit a few points that you feel like will be a good plot point for the story. And I'll, I'll answer them. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, and, and I know this, this, uh, you know, this is not the easy for you considering the circumstances, but uh, I'm going to need some, some personal information. Uh, we could start with where uh, Marcus lives. Oh, uh, is he seeing anybody? Uh, what's his work schedule like? Uh, 
any information that you could help to get me going and then, uh, you know, I'll see what I can dig up. Right. Like she gives the address for Imperial cab yeah. offs, right? Like, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, his home address, you know, again, if, if he's seen anybody, you know, when, when, uh, when was the last time that you spoke to him? Did he seem like he was in good spirits? Did he seem despondent at all? Did, uh, did anything happen that would lead you to believe that uh, he might be in some kind of trouble? Okay. Actually, let's go back. Let's, sorry. I know I, I should have been whatever. Okay. So uh, we're going to start here and I'll just kind of, I'll kind of prompt you. So you, you actually, no, I'm going to need you to say, okay. you want me to post questions in the chat? <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's do it again. Okay. So first of all, ask me where he lives. So uh, let's start with the basics. Uh, where does he live? She says, uh, right above Imperial Taxi, the building itself, it used to be an old, uh, used to be an old apartment complex, and now it houses not only Marcus, but his employees. Well, that's pretty convenient. You know, he writes down the address. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. Um when uh, when was the last time that you spoke to him? Does he uh, did he seem despondent at all? Did you get any in- inclination that uh, something might be uh, going on? Nothing out of the nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, Marcus is a hard worker. He likes to say he likes to have his feet on the ground, you know, boots to the ground kind of thing. He's always checking up on his on his workers. He's always making sure that they're happy. You know, he seemed kind of flustered because, you know, work's been really busy lately, but nothing, nothing that I could see that would create nervousness in him and and the people around him. Uh, when, when was the last time that you actually spoke to him? She says, let's just say today is like a Friday. And she's like, I talked to him last Friday, actually. It was just before the the big before the the big art show downtown. You know, he wanted to make sure that he had all of the, all of his employees, you know, ready and ready to go, possibly working some overtime to kind of get everyone there. Cause you know, everybody's got to catch their cab on time. So he wanted to make sure that everybody's up to snuff to get to that. So he was kind of, you know, working up to that. Uh, I just assumed since I had, hadn't heard of him, heard from him since then that he's probably resting up after that long weekend. And he just like he's kind of nodding along. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does his schedule permit him any uh, promiscuity? Is he uh, seeing anybody right now? Yes, uh, he is actually seeing uh, a Mrs. Carol Divers. Um, she is actually a singer at the Glow Lounge. Uh, she really likes. Uh, she's a really, really quite the woman she says and you you there's something in that when she says it but you can't quite well actually you know what let's make an insight yay (laughs) let's roll for it let's do a uh brains brains plus insight sounds good Ah, another six i love this purple die so that's a seven (laughs) nice you can tell that there's two things in that in that kind of way that she says it you can tell that marcus is really into her and you can tell that charlene is not i have a follow-up on <laughs> yeah and you know what i 
this is like I didn't really give you an oh, and. Yeah, you didn't give me a deal. Right? So, oh, I didn't give you a DL either. But that's okay. You would have you would have got a yes and anyway. So I probably would have called it another four just because you don't really know her and you don't really know Carol. But um, again, I didn't really give you an and. I just kind of told you kind of what was going on there. So I will give you a chance to add your own and to it. Um, I'm going to say and I do know Carol because I spend quite a bit of time at the Glow Lounge. Yeah. And then we... You were on a familiar relationship. Is that too much? Right. Like I know, like she, like I've seen her, we've spoken. We're yeah. friendly. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Because you're what the, what the people don't know, which will, ah, do we want to spoil that now? Or do we want to wait? <laughs> Let, let's not spoil that now. Um, so yeah. So let's just say that, you know, who this person is. You've actually yep, had conversations with, with Carol, um, I'll actually describe Carol right now just because it, it would be like a conversation. Maybe, you know, if this were a true noir movie or story, you would kind of say in your head like, oh, Carol, I remember her. She has really long orange auburn hair, standing very tall, always wearing f- those floral dresses with that red rose in her hair. Always a sight to see she gets the men under the collar and some of the women she's never been technically the main event of the glow lounge but you know that when she's there to sing people are there to listen and he just he says to her he goes um uh you don't seem like you uh approve of the relationship she kind of narrows her eyes to you and she kind of says, well, let's just say she does some extracurricular activities that I don't really approve of. Extracurricular, you say? You have uh, anything uh, in particular that you're concerned about? And as you kind of say that, she kind of kind of gets a, a nervous titch in her face that she doesn't know if you're seeing or not. And then she says, let's just say some of the things she does aren't quite above board. All right. Well, I guess I'll probably have to start there then. Actually, you know what? Roll me a charm. Oh, I'm not good at that. <laughs> uh, um, I'm going to have that be a DL. I'm going to make this more difficult. Because she's not really wanting to tell you these things. So I'm going to make it a five. And I'm going to see how you see if you can actually charm something out of her. Okay. I have a charm of two and no subsequent skill with that. I have no persuade. I have no fast talk. Nothing like that. So straight roll. I got a pair of sixes. Jeez, look at this. (laughs) (laughs) So... That's just a yes. That's just a yes. Yep. Just succeed by over one. one. Yep. Okay. So, um, so he, like he leans in and kind of like winks and like you know gives her a nudge, right? Like, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and she kind of she she kind of like is still kind of nervous, but she kind of gets a little bit of like a weird crick of a smile on one side of her face, and she says. 
I don't know what they would say back then, so I'm gonna kind of make up my own little thing. Let's just say she hasn't she doesn't know how to keep her nose clean and she kind of takes her hand and kind of wipes the bottom of her nostrils a little bit. Ah, I see what you mean. That's uh not uncommon in a in a club like that, and he kind of like taps the side of his nose. <laughs> She says, you kind of see her get a little nervous again. And she brings up a, uh, or you, you realize that now that she's actually carrying a, a small satchel with her and she opens it up and she says, these might help. And she hands you three photographs of the scene of the crime. So he, you know, she passes them over and he, you know, like sort of like flexes it and like holds it up to the light. And he goes, where did you get these? And she stares at you about as hard as anyone could stare at anyone else. And she says, that is not of your concern. Your concern is finding my brother's killer. He just... Like he, there's there's a moment of silence and he just kind of shakes his head and he says, OK, everybody has their secrets. <laughs> and she kind of she kind of nods her head a little bit and she says, and this is one I'd like to keep under wraps. If you want to keep your payroll coming in, I just, uh, you know, I want to make sure I know what I'm getting into. Uh if I got to step on any toes downtown, that's uh, could be a problem for me. We uh, uh, one guy downtown that I talked to, uh, yeah, we're pretty friendly, but some of those other guys, they uh, they don't like me so much. <laughs> and she kind of giggles at that and, or, you know, kind of laughs at that. And she says, I could understand that. She says, these are for mine and your eyes only. Don't show them to anyone else. Unless I tell you, you can. Understood. Otherwise, otherwise, that could get both of us in deep trouble. Hey, you're the boss. She hands you a piece of paper. She says, here's my number. You can reach me at any time. I actually am the, I might have to work this in because I didn't look this up. She actually works the board. She actually is in charge of working or the boss of working the boards of Imperial Taxi. That's why she's dressed up so professionally. So I'll have to look that up and I'll add that in. But she says, you can give me a call at this number anytime. Uh, I do work throughout the week, but um, anyone can patch you in at any time. Don't be afraid to call day or night. Will do. What happens with the taxi company now due to... uh... Marcus's unfortunate demise. Uh, so, so I uh, can file that away for uh, informational purposes, of course. Mm-hmm. And she kind of gives you a little bit of a side eye, and she's kind of trying to trying to size you up. And she says, "Well, I guess as being the only living relative of Marcus's, I guess I will be taking over." Imperial taxi. He he nods silently. I don't know that he would say anything. Uh, I I don't think he says anything. I think he just kind of nods like he's just scribbling in his notebook. 
I don't think he would follow that up with a hard question. Like, where do you live? <laughs> right. Cause this, so George has a life shaper. It's cold. It's a belief. Uh, everyone lies even to themselves. So he has a very dim view on human nature. So the fact that she can, you know, she will be more than likely inheriting a very lucrative business in the heart of downtown New York is a pretty big motive, but <laughs> he's not going to say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess he said it without saying it, but like, he's just kind of like, lets it slide. Yeah, 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 for sure. You hear, you hear brakes of a car come to a stop and she says, uh, and Charlene looks at you and she says, well, this is my ride. I will bid you adieu for the night. Again, if there's anything I can do to help you in this investigation, I will. I thank you for that. I will uh, get in touch with you as soon as I find out something. Uh, I will begin working on the case. Uh, well, I'm working on the case now, but uh, yeah, in, in the morning, I'll uh, I'll beat feet around town and see what I can't turn up. As she turns to go, like the camera turns and follows her. She's, you know, walking up. It's like a, like a low shot of her, like, you know, calves and high heels, you know, to kind of like pans up, shows the car and the, the driver or whatever that's there. He just calls out to her, says, uh, be careful, Miss Woodard. Uh, we don't know what's happening yet. And, uh, there's no saying that you aren't also at risk yourself. And she, she turns to you and she says, thank you, Mr. Armstrong. Make sure you're careful as well. Always. And he pats his pocket, you know, pats his, like where the shoulder holster would be. <laughs> All right. And she turns off and gets into her car and uh, the person that's driving her speeds away. And the, the camera follows the car kind of like speed away, but then like pulls up to see George standing just outside the halo of light from one of the few uh, lamp posts that's working. You just see smoke wreathing into the, into the light. 